0: let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, for this morning already, for the time that we've been able to spend just worshiping you and hearing testimonies of your goodness. I pray that as we spend this time in your word, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. Let us, let us Let us see the Father in a new way today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I wanna start out this morning by talking about a couple of different extremes that we often see in human nature. On the one extreme, there are people who are really arrogant, really prideful. They, they know that they're amazing, they don't need any help. They are the kings and queens of their world and all of the rest of us are just peasants and peons in their kingdom. And the Psalms, the Psalms, Psalms sometimes talk about people like this. Uh, in a a psalm we're going to look at later on this summer. And one, actually, that our men's group looked at a couple of weeks ago. Quick plug for that. Uh, Most of our ministries are, uh, they're they're weak, man. They pause for the summer. They take a break. Not the men's group. Not the men's group. We're going all the way through, baby. I I said, do you guys want to stop for the summer? No, 6.30 every Thursday morning. So that's what we do. Every Thursday, 6.30 a.m. If you're a guy, Come. Uh, but we looked at Psalm 73 a couple of weeks ago, and this is what it says. It talks about people who scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance they threaten oppression, their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. This is, this is the arrogance that we sometimes see in the world from people who are uh, rich and famous and, and powerful, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, was uh, he was a famous architect. He said, early in life, I had to choose between honest arrogance and hypocritical humility. <laughs> so I chose the former, the honest arrogance, and have seen no reason to change. He was just so amazing. There was no other options. That was it. Either he pretended to be humble or he admitted how fantastic he was. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, I'm going to make a claim here that's going to be controversial because, first of all, I watch soccer every four years, And second of all, we've got a resident of Portugal here in our midst, but not even the greatest soccer player of his generation, uh, said reportedly, God sent me to Earth to show people how to play football. I'd like to see him play against the BC Lions, see how that goes, or different kind of football. Uh, And then we got Kanye West. Oh, Kanye. (laughs) He said, my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. greatest pain in life. The worst thing. Uh, He also said, I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh. Besides the pride, what kind of metaphysical claim is is Kanye making there, right? Like, is, is this reincarnation of Shakespeare? Was Shakespeare a spiritual being who now is in the flesh? And Kanye, I don't know what's going on there, but... Anyway, so you've got that extreme there. And then on the other extreme, you've got people who, uh, there's, it's just despair, right? People who feel so thoroughly defeated that they can barely summon the strength to carry themselves through this, this next day. They, they think they're the worst of the worst, the scum of the earth. And though the Psalms don't stay in that place, we do read Psalms that kind of bring us into that realm. Psalm 88, for example, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Not the cheeriest of words, but that's real stuff. And we know, I mean, we know, some of us know what that experience is like. Some of you have been there. Some of you perhaps even are there today or you've been there this, this week, we know that mental health has, has suffered significantly in Western culture in, in recent years. We know that this is especially the case among our kids and, and our teens, and we know this was especially the case during the pandemic. Even now, studies continue to come out that show how depression and suicide spiked during the pandemic, and it's an ongoing crisis. I was reading one article that was interviewing some of these teenagers who just talked about how in the pandemic, they just would sit in their hours, their, their room for hours because they had nothing to do. There was no purpose. There was no motivation. They were just, they were despairing. They, they were defeated. We're, uh, we're starting today. We're starting a new sermon series in the Psalms for, for the summer. And if you don't know what the Psalms are, the Psalms are kind of smack dab in the middle of your book, uh, in your Bible. They are uh, a collection of 150 songs. And that, that's what the Greek word psalmos means. It means song. The Hebrew title for the, the book is Tehillim, and that means praises. This, is, this was the public hymn book, the song book of God's people. And when we read the Psalms, we learn what a relationship with God looks like. We learn what it looks like to pray. We see from the Psalms, we learn from the Psalms what what that relationship with God looks like. And what we see in the Psalms, I think oftentimes, is a posture that that kind of goes in between these these two extremes. What we see, I think, often in the Psalms is, is a confidence In the Lord, in the midst of weakness. See, it's not arrogant because the Psalms consistently, I think this is a a precondition of real prayer, by the way. The Psalms consistently recognize a need, a a dependence on God. I can't do this on my own, I need help. But it also avoids that kind of despairing, defeatist attitude too. Because it says, even though I can't do it, God can and he's in my life. And so there's this confidence in the midst of weakness, and we see that especially clearly in Psalm chapter 40, which is what we're going to be in today. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read this in, in sections, I'm going to break it down a little bit, and then we're going to do something a bit different today. Uh, we've actually got a special guest with us, I, I, our Cristiano Ronaldo fan. Actually, she, said, she, was, she pretended to be offended when she heard that, but then she told me she actually because she read the sermon earlier. We didn't have a dialogue just now, but, but she, she told me she actually didn't really like Ronaldo, so we're actually totally fine. Uh, but, but Connie's with us. She is a, a missionary. I'll tell you more about her later. She's a missionary that we support uh, in, in Europe. Uh, we have a long standing relationship with her. We're so glad she's here today. And so she's gonna come on up, and we're gonna do a bit of a conversation around this psalm and how it kind of works out in her context. So that's where we're going, uh, but let's get into Psalm 40. Verses one to three. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in in him. The subtext of the psalm says that this is a psalm of, of David. Some of you will know about King David. He was the greatest king in Israel's history. And if you know David's life, you know that he had plenty of experiences that fit these, this description, that he consistently found himself in pits of various kinds, metaphorical pits. He was... Uh, he was uh, a, a brother of, of many older brothers. Some of you know the pain that comes from, from that, constantly being looked down upon, being left out of things. He was a man, and I don't know how many of us could say this, that the king of Israel was, was hunting down, chasing from place to place, always kind of his life being threatened, being in danger. He was a man who had his wife taken away from him by the king of Israel and given to another man. I would be very surprised if any of us have had that experience. He was a man who, um, even when he became king, his son attempted a coup and and forced him to flee his own palace as a refugee. Uh, Another time, one of his sons raped one of his daughters. Another time, he had an affair with another man's wife had that man killed in battle. And then when, even after he repented, was confronted by that and and repented, had that that child that was born of that affair pass away shortly after birth. And this was a man who over and over again, whether, whether because of his own decisions or because of the decisions of others, the oppression of others, one way or the other, this was a man who found himself in metaphorical, slimy, mucky, miry pits over And over and over again. But this is also what David experienced over and over and over again. He experienced God's gracious salvation lifting him up out of that pit. So what The Bible talks about David being a man after God's own heart. That's, that's what it comes down to, is that even when David had stumbled and fallen into the pit, that he would cry out to the Lord, turn to the Lord with all his heart, and God came through for him over and over and over again. The psalm here says that, that he, he cried out. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my, heard my cry. It wasn't something that David, David couldn't save himself. He couldn't get himself out of the pit. It was too slick. It was too deep for that. It had to be God. But it raises a question, doesn't it? When you read this, does that mean that we are to be completely passive when we find ourselves in the pit? You know, are you just supposed to kind of lay there and do nothing and just kind of hope that God does everything for you? Now on the one hand, to answer that question, we would say that salvation is ultimately, finally, by grace. That it is not something that you can accomplish on your own. We know from the Bible that in our sins we are dead in our transgressions. And that God made us alive in Christ Jesus. We couldn't do that ourselves. He did that by grace. He made us alive. He saves us by grace. But the Bible also talks about how salvation is through faith. That faith is our response to that grace. And faith involves an active, trusting, submissive obedience to our Savior. If you kind of uh, put yourself back in that, well, if if you imagine yourself in a literal pit, You were actually in in a hole that you couldn't get yourself out of. And you're crying out for help because you can't save yourself. And someone comes along, and they lower a rope. And they say, grab a hold of the rope. And and they're pulling you up, and and then you get to the top, and they say, you know, grab grab my hand. And and you grab their hand, and 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 you're pulling, right? They're, They're saving you. But you're responding to that by listening to essentially listening to your Savior, doing what your Savior tells you to do. If you just kinda lie there and you're like, no, I refuse to hold the rope. I don't know how that's gonna work out for you, right? That's where salvation is entirely, it's, it's by grace through and through, but the response, the necessary response is faith. And so you're, you're, you're in the pit, God's, God rescues you, but you respond to that, you obey, you follow, you follow his lead. That's what David had done, and, and so he had seen God deliver him over and over again. One other line I want, I want to quickly look at before we move on. David says he put a new song in my mouth. And it just strikes me that God is a creative God, that God is a God who loves doing new things making new things. Isaiah 43, God says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Watch as I transform this this place into something new. That's what God loves doing. And what can sometimes happen is even as we're remembering the past as David did, we can sometimes get stuck in the past, right? Right? And and we can kind of get in this rut where we're just waiting for God to do exactly the thing that he did before. And we think that if we just do the exact same things we did before in that situation, then then he'll work in the exact same way. This is what I mean, an example of what I mean. Um, The people of Wales experienced an incredible revival, a movement of the Holy Spirit in the early 1900s. And for years afterwards, some of the people who had experienced that revival would keep on singing the same songs that they had sung during the revival. Which is fine, that's, that's no problem. But apparently they did it because they had fallen into this, into this kind of ritualistic, formulaic kind of mindset that, that those songs were the key. That the songs were why God moved. And so if we just sing those songs again, God will bring revival again. And it doesn't work like that. Because, because God is doing new things, fresh things, prompting fresh songs of praise in our hearts, right? God, our God loves doing new things. So when we look at this, David remembers the past. And we need to do that as well. If you don't already do this, can I commend to you, recommend to you that you, uh, that you have a journal where you keep track of, of prayers that have been answered or ways that God has moved in your life and, and that when you find yourself in a pit, that you go back to that, that you read that, that you remind yourself like David did in Psalm 40, remind yourself of how God has worked in the past, not because you're seeking a, just a rerun of what took place, but as a source of hope, a reminder of God's character, a reminder of the kind of thing that God does. When you're doubting what God's gonna do, look back at what he has done and find find solace in that. Find hope and encouragement in that. That's what David does in Psalm 40. Now let's keep going. Verses four to 10, shifts, the couple of shifts that take place here. David says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done the things you planned for us none can compare with you were i to speak and tell of your deeds they would be too many to declare sacrifice and offering you did not desire but my ears you have opened burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require then i said here i am i have come it's written about me in the scroll i desire to do your will my god your law is within my heart I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. A couple shifts that take place here. One is that especially towards the end, we see a movement from kind of personal, private testimony to public corporate praise. David takes what he has received from the Lord in his own walk with him, and now he's sharing it with others. He's making it known. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I'm not hiding it. I'm speaking of your faithfulness. And this this is something we we kind of come back to many times, but this is actually what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Whenever, Whenever we are blessed... We are meant to be a blessing to others. We are meant to share that with others. When God called Abraham in Genesis 12, God chose Abraham out of all the peoples on the earth and he said to him, I'm gonna bless you, Abraham. I'm gonna bless your, your family, I'm gonna bless your people and I'm going to make you a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham wasn't receiving blessing just so that he could be like, na, 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 look at all of you, look at me. He was doing it because God, God did that so that Abraham would be a conduit of God's blessings. That's, that's God's nature to overflow in love and blessings to others, to others. That's, that's what he does with his people. Jesus in the New Testament, he says, you are the light of the world, but you are not meant to be a light that's hidden under a bowl, but instead to shine, to, to, to let others know of the glory of, of your father that they would also praise him. Yes. This is what we're called to do. And some of you uh, came with us to, to Camp Stillwood last week. And I don't, Did anybody show up here last, uh, last Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so sorry that happened. Uh, I'm so glad you still came this week, despite that experience last week. But for those who came to Camp Stillwood last week, it was an incredible weekend. A lot of adventure. I mean, there were, there were bears rampaging through the camp. There were dead rats in toilets. Uh, people. That, those are those are serious. Those, those are honest things. Those things actually happened. Uh, people saw a side of me they had never seen before—the side of me that will willingly take out my daughter in California kickball to prevent a run from being scored. Uh, it was it was a phenomenal weekend. And uh, but but the sessions, the times that we spent together, we were we were going through the the Holy Spirit videos from the Alpha course. And uh, and Saturday night we just we had this extended time of. Uh, of worship and prayer ministry and uh, there was healing and prophetic words. People were like, this is a Baptist church? This is so weird. Uh, it was so good. It was so powerful. And to see people transformed, to, to see people being touched by the Holy Spirit, to see the joy that people were experiencing, uh, no, there's nothing like that. And, and if that was you, if that happened to you, 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 gotta, you gotta let other people know. Yeah. You gotta tell people. You gotta share this with others because, because when you share it with others, they have reason to praise as well. Right? You, you, you need to share it. So actually, if, if you're like, well, I definitely don't wanna get up in front of a group of people, talk to Rodrigo. He'll video you. And you'll still be in front of a group of people, but you'll be on video. It'll be totally fine. Uh, We would love to share your testimonies, how God has worked in your life. Like we're so encouraged by Ying's testimony, right? And that's what she was doing, proclaiming how God has saved her to the assembly. We wanna encourage you to do that as as well. Again, part of the reason is because it gives others a reason to praise God as well. And that's the other shift we see in this section in in Psalm 40 is that David kind of shifts from the first three verses are really more past tense. And in these verses, there's a bit more present tense language. He's saying, that's what happened to me. This is what I do now. He says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, like trusts now, who's trusting in the Lord. He says, I proclaim your saving acts. I don't seal my lips. I don't hide your righteousness. I speak of your faithfulness. These are things that are happening right now because you see for David, there is always, always, always a reason to praise God in the present moment. And I don't know if we always realize this, But when you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of the circumstances of your life, you always have reason to praise God. And to get at why that is, I want to go back to verses 6 to 8. And it's not going to seem intuitive at first why, but just follow. Stick with me. Verses 6 to 8 talk about how sacrifice isn't isn't the thing that God wants most of all. What he he wants is, is a heart fully devoted to him. And if you think that the Old Testament is a book of just rituals and rules and lists of names, you've gotta see right here that right from the start, from beginning to end, that that what God is after is not people who pay him lip service, who can check off a few boxes, who can kind of do the bare minimum. What he's after uh, are people who give their whole hearts to him, who are fully devoted to him, not lukewarm, but just all in on him because, because this is who he is. He is not a lukewarm God. He's not a halfway God. He's a consuming fire, full of fiery blazing love. He is passionately for what is good and passionately against what is evil. That, that's just, that is who he is. That's in his nature. And that's who Jesus is. See, what we see in Jesus is someone who is so fully devoted to doing the will of the Father that he doesn't just offer a sacrifice at the temple, he offers himself. He offers his own body at the cross. Actually, this this passage, verses 6 to 8, are quoted in the New Testament. In Hebrews 10, which is all about the crucifixion of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus once for all, in our place. See, if, if Jesus, I mean, if Jesus wanted to just cover over like a few sins, you know, like, uh, like when, you, when, you, when you told a little white lie, when you told your grandmother that you liked her cooking, when you really didn't, you know, like, like those kinds of sins. If you wanted to just cover over the kind of like not so bad ones, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. The cross, this, this publicly humiliating death where Jesus experiences separation from from the Father. I mean, there's no greater extent than that. There is no greater length that Jesus could have gone to. He went all in so that no matter how deep your pit is, no matter how mucky and muddy, no matter what you have done in the past, that's sufficient. Jesus went all the way, all in, because he is fully devoted to the will of the Father. You see the good news there? What that means is that we always, always have reason to praise him because regardless of what, what smaller pits we find ourselves in, we know that Jesus has delivered us from the pit of condemnation, of damnation, The deepest pit imaginable. Jesus has delivered us from that, forgiven our sins, reconciled us to God the Father, adopted us as a child of God, filled us with the Holy Spirit. All of these things are true of a follower of Jesus here and now. So regardless of what else is happening in your life, that's true and you have reason to praise him. So yeah, we proclaim that. We've we've got to proclaim that. We've got to make that known to others that this is who our God is, a passionate, consuming God who is devoted to rescuing us from the pit. So David looks at the past and he goes, that's what God has done for me. Looks at the present, says, I'm praising him, I'm proclaiming him now. But what becomes clear in verses 11 to 17 is the context for this psalm, which is actually not super rosy. It's not that David writes this psalm in a, in a situation where everything's great. It turns out that he's in a crisis right now. Verses 11 to 17, he says, "'Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. "'May your love and your faithfulness always protect me, "'for troubles without number surround me. "'My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. "'They're more than the hairs of my head "'and my heart fails within me.'" Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, it's like a crow or something, be be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You're my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So this is, this is, this is David's lament. This is where he says, this, this is what's going on. And, and so we've, we've kind of said, okay, he's praising God and, and, he, and, he, and he's you know, remembering the past, but he's also not shying away from being really honest with God about what's going on right now. And I, again, I think this is so important about prayer that in prayer, we, we don't shy away from saying anything to God. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to God in prayer. You can tell him everything. You, you can bring out all the darkest parts of your heart. You can lay it out before God and you can just say, here it is, God. Here are the things that I'm struggling with. Right? That's what David does in the Psalms again and again. He doesn't, he doesn't wait until he's figured things out. He just comes to God and says, God, I'm going to die here. I, there are troubles beyond, you know, troubles without number that are surrounding me. My heart fails within me. I'm in real trouble. And David's like, look, it's coming from all angles. Like, it's stuff that I've done. It's, it's my sin. It's, it's things that I've messed up. It's also all of, these, all of these fools over here who are pursuing me, oppressing me. It's like a perfect storm of affliction, of, of, of hardship. And, it, and, and David's just going, I can't, I can't do this on my own. Have you ever been in that place? Have you, like, have you been in that place where it feels like you're on like, a knife's edge almost? Like, like you don't know if you're going to make it through. It feels like it could, go, it could go one way or the other. That you might not, you might not survive this. And this might destroy you. Have you been there? I've been in places like that. It's terrifying. And so David's just really honest about that. This is where he is. And and you kind of get the sense in, those, in, the, in that first part of that section that he, he's just wrestling with this, right? He's, he's bringing this in prayer, but he's saying, this, this, God, this is what I'm dealing with. And then in verse 16, there's, there's something of a breakthrough. Something changes. It's like this whole uh, wrestling match he's having, finally a, a winner emerges, and he says, no, no, but, but may all who seek you Rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. Um, David, David comes to a point here where he says, no, I, I know that God's gonna come through. I know that he is going to rescue me. And he continues on, verse 17, he goes, yeah, I am poor and needy. David, despite being, uh, whether he was a king at this point or not, despite being a king, despite being, uh, you know, endowed with, uh, with strength, with physical strength and, and so on. He was no Kanye West. He was no Ronaldo. He knew that he needed help. He knew that he, that he was broken, that he was dependent on God, but he knows that God is his help and his deliverer. You're my God. Do not delay. Just says, look, I, I'm weak. I can't do this on my own, but, but looking at the past and remembering what you've done for me, I know you're going to come through for me again. I know it. You, you see you see what David has done here? David is 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 wrestling with this, but what has enabled him to move forward in confident faith is is remembering what God has done and praising him in the present. You see he doesn't he doesn't shy away from this 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 challenging moment. Doesn't just run away, but doesn't try to brave it on his own. Instead, he he moves forward with confidence in the Lord based on his praise in his remembrance we could put it this way that the psalmist remembers the past knows he has reason to praise in the present therefore he's enabled to face the future with confidence in the Lord despite his own weakness may that be true of you may that be true of you and and for me when we find ourselves in the pit that we would have confidence because we know who God is and that he will do what we can't now, we've kind of been talking a lot about personal application. So what we're going to do now is we're going to get Connie to come on up and we're going to do, do a bit of a corporate application here. Maybe a month ago or so, and I'd asked you what psalms kind of resonated with you in terms of your experience of, of Europe, your experience of ministry there. This is, this is the one that you had kind of suggested. So what have we talked about so far? What from the psalm, I mean, we're gonna, we'll get into it in more detail, but just generally, what really stands out to you about this psalm and what we've talked about so far?
1: I think, I think for me, Psalm, Psalm 40 is one of those messy psalms. So it, uh, we have praise psalms, we have lament psalms, we have the pilgrim psalms, but this one is a blend. And, and it's messy, and I'm messy. My life is messy. And, and so it gives me encouragement to know that there were others thousands of years ago who, whose brain works like mine. So the good side of me says I, I too sit down and I write about all the good things God has done for me in the past. And, you know, the work that I do, the church that I pastor, then forces me to go into the theology and say, yeah, Lord, I know that that uh, sacrifice really isn't what you want, and you just want me to follow you. And then it should end, right? But then my mind goes back to, but help me, because I am a mess, and I live in a mess. And that's, that's what touches me about this psalm, is David's honesty before God. And there's no kind of paragraph or or parentheses at the bottom where God said, but that was a huge mistake, David. That was the worst prayer ever. It, um, it was just an acceptance by God that the Holy Spirit said that needs to be in the canon mm. of the Hebrew Bible. That needs to stay.
0: Yeah, awesome. So so thinking about this, especially from the perspective of the church in Europe, uh, starting from the beginning, the muck and the mire, these pits, what does that look like for Europe? Where is the European church kind of, in, what, what kind of pits does the European church find itself in?
1: Okay. Um, I get this question a lot about the European church, and I kind of chuckle, because Canada's so vast. Um, you know, we, we live in the second largest country in the world. So sometimes we think of Europe as just one big cult country with lots of different provinces that we call countries. But Europe is so incredibly diverse. So what does the Church of Europe look like? I haven't a clue. I can tell you what, what 40 countries kind of looks like, mm. but I'll do it in sections. In Eastern Europe right now, they're in the muck and mire of of war and of of working that through. So uh, until two years ago, they were living in the muck and mire of a very easy faith. And Mm -hmm. now they're working through a theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. The church in Turkey is doing the same thing as in February. It shook literally almost to the ground. And so they are also trying to pull themselves out of literal muck and mire. Mm and and trying to find the peace of God when when their country still shakes every single day. Mm -hmm. Western Western Europeans are are in the muck and mire of a very easy believism, of prosperity, of health, of God must love us because look at all the blessings that we have and there is no theology of suffering and that's very scary. Southern Europeans are in the muck and mire of, of an old religion in Catholicism that has blended with, with with ancient and dark religions, and they're trying to figure out where's Jesus in the midst of that. Mm. And then in, in the north, you have um, a complete, uh, or, or moving towards atheism, complete and cold atheism.
0: Mm. wow. I received that rebuke, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Europe is not one monolithic uh, region, yeah, yeah. So David talks about uh, God put a new song in His mouth, and there's there's a joy. Um, well, I, I think I was going to ask this question, or maybe we were going to do this earlier. But but is are European Christians, however you want to answer that, uh, are are they kind of stuck in the past? Are they are they just kind of lamenting what's gone before, or is is there joy? Is there kind of the sense of a, a newness that's taking place? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean when when war hit, when when Turkey. Was, was shaken, and now heavier persecution, so we're constantly in the European Union fighting, uh, fighting for our rights, for religious liberty and belief and freedom of speech. When you have all that pressure on you, very much what the book of Revelation talks about, there's a resurgence of joy mm. when, when you're facing difficult times and you realize that God is still there and he still loves you, and more people are taking their faith more sincerely. It's not so easy now to believe. And, and so, yeah, I see glimpses of joy, maybe even more gazes of joy, not just glimpses, but gazes of joy in the European church, where it was just a little bit blasé, I think, as the French would say. It was just a little bit boring. We just believed we showed up to, to be together because that's what we do. And now there's a purpose to our being together. And, and the singing is more joyful because there's pain.
0: Hmm, okay, okay. And how do you see, I mean, what, what's the, how's the gospel going forward in, in Europe? Are, are, churches, are churches growing? Are there some churches that are growing? Are you seeing people coming back to faith? Like, what's, what does that look like?
1: Again, that's a mix. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily now in, in our regions. So yes, the church is growing, but how is it growing first? The number one convert right now in Europe are are what we would call gypsies the roma people Mm. so they have the fastest growing church in all of europe and that is exciting they're coming to know the lord in thousands the next biggest group would be migrants refugees so when the syrians a lot of them were christians came up through through europe they brought with them their faith Mm. the ukrainians who fled uh, into Europe from Ukraine have brought their faith, and they are they're growing churches. All of a sudden, our churches are filling up, but again, they come from a place of suffering. Yeah. And so, to them, Jesus is really real. He is victorious. Here they are, they've seen the worst of the worst, and yet they're alive and they're rejoicing and they're loved and cared for. And so, they're, they're exciting Europeans to go, oh. Yeah, I guess God really is good uh, and better maybe for you. How is that even possible than he was for us mm. in all of this easiness that we've had? So the church is growing and we are depending a lot on our migrant churches and leaders to inspire us again into new life and, mm. and new excitement for, for the gospel.
0: What's, what's the cause of that resurgence among Roma people? What's, what's kind of behind that, like in terms of them coming to faith?
1: The Holy Spirit. there is no other explanation for that there really isn't it's
0: ridiculous who am i like what is this who is this pastor up here good night Um,
1: yeah no there is no logical explanation for it um there really isn't if you knew anything about the Roma people and their culture it's it's very complex and yet there they are and they are on fire Mm. they are on fire their weaknesses would be that they tend to evangelize within their people group and they're not great evangelists outside. And that could be largely because Europeans are very, um, keep an arm's distance away Mm. from Roma. There's a lot of misunderstanding.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, What dangers do you see in the psalm for the church in Europe?
1: Okay, so we're just talking the church. There would be a different answer if we're talking Europeans, but I'm I'm just gonna talk about the dangers of the muck and the mire. So you know that this is going to be critical. But I do love the church in Europe very much. But the muck and mire that I see is that we get trapped in our old ways of doing things. Um, we couldn't get a Europe we couldn't get an evangelical alliance built in Ukraine, and we've been trying for about 40 years because the Pentecostals didn't believe the Baptists were Christians, and the Baptists mm. didn't believe the Pentecostals were Christians, and on it went. They could never possibly work together until war broke out, and all of a sudden they thought what, what's dividing us is a lot less than what joins us. And I think in general for Europeans, all of it looks different, but in general, we have to let go of the muck and mire of what divides us is more important than actually what unites us. What unites us is Jesus Christ. And, and there's a lot that we just need to say that's enough. Mm, that's enough, we need well, to get out of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, Oh, that's good. Just hear that theme over and over again, the theme of suffering and the maybe unanticipated blessings yes. that God is bringing to the church yeah, through that
1: yeah. yeah Oh so that would be for the Western Europeans, prosperity. So that's a huge Muck and yeah. Meyer thing that, that 2008 started us on a journey when, when the market absolutely crashed in Europe. Um, it started to build up now it's going down again that. And then COVID. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was uh, <laughs> it affected Europe a lot. <laughs> and we had to get out of the muck and mire of, of as Europeans, as inventors of Renaissance, uh, thinking, oh, everything fails. Our, our banks fail. Our health system fails. Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing that we've ever depended on as very, very wealthy Europeans works. Hmm. So what's left?
0: OK. <clears throat> and so. You know, sometimes an outsider. You're not really an outsider because you. You're, I mean, you. You were born. When did you? When did you move to Europe? How long
1: ago? 25 years, 20 ago. years ago.
0: But before, until then, you were. You were. You were born in Canada, raised in Canada. So, interesting perspective for you, probably, to kind of see the church. Let's just use the monolithic term in Canada here, uh, from a distance. What What do you see about the church? Well, let's let's say Greater Vancouver. Let's say let's say here. Uh, you know, because where were you from? Where are you from? This is terrible. I should have known this ahead
1: of time. <laughs> go Stamps, go. I'm a Calgarian. Calgarian. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, well, okay. So let's stick with Canada then. What, what do you see about the church in Canada? Uh, kind of from, from your perspective, especially related to this, to this Psalm, where, where are we, where, Where, is, where are the dangers, where are the, where is the joy?
1: Um, so forgive me. I've been out for 25 years. So I come back, um, And I'm not, I don't come back with a critical spirit. I just hear what I hear and it could be wrong and I will, I'll own that. Here would be my perception. The Canadian church is still a church that lives in fear. Mm. Um, And it's more about what we're against and not what we're for. It's a response reaction to what's happening in our culture um, it's them against us, and I've never been able to get a clear answer of who them is, but I just know there's a them and an us, and they are, they are taking over. Mm. Um, and it, instead, of, uh, instead of the stuff that we're singing up here, which was amazing, um, and what you were saying about Abraham being a blessing, we kind of are so used to keeping it in. We're so used to working from the, min- from the majority position, mm that we don't know how to behave as a minority. Mm. And the churches always, always historically worked best from yep. the minority position. Yeah,
0: yep.
1: um, And so I, I think the, the Canadian church is now starting to wake up from the dialogues I've had in the lower mainland and on the island. Uh, there's a lot of people waking up to, okay, maybe we need to, maybe, no, we need to stop acting from fear mm. and, and speaking from victory um, putting a lot more love in our language without forgetting truth, justice, and mercy. Those all go together, Psalm 85:10. 10. Um, yeah, so that, that would be what, in general, I see.
0: Yeah. I think that's good. I, I think when I talk to my American friends, they're, they're still very much in that, like, well, we're, we're still the majority. We can still do stuff here. And as a Canadian, I think we do know, we know our weakness. But I think it's what you're referring to is the confidence, the confidence in the pit, the confidence in weakness, because it actually doesn't matter. The numbers don't actually matter. What matters is the presence of God. Yeah. And that makes all the difference in the world. So, yeah. 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 Well, that's great. So Connie is, uh, after, the, after the service, we've got a congregational meeting upstairs. Uh, and Connie's going to give us an update. So this was kind of, uh, just the, I love this. This was great. Kind of a dialogue about what she sees in her context. But upstairs, you'll actually tell us a bit more about the specific ministries that you're that you're serving in. So we'll, we'll be blessed by that. Uh, and then tomorrow evening, there's a women's ministry event. I think it's at seven, yeah? Seven o'clock? Okay. So at seven o'clock, upstairs, women's ministry event. Connie's going to be speaking. That'll be a huge blessing. So if you're a woman, come tomorrow night at seven. Connie, would you just wondering if we could spend a little bit of time in prayer here. So if you could pray for us yes. and for our church and then I'd love to pray for you and uh, and then we'll close in that way. And while we're praying, the worship team will do that magical thing where they appear on the stage and everybody's eyes are closed. So let's, <laughs> if you could pray for us, that would Thanks. be great.
1: Jesus, thank you for this church. And this church is not this building as amazing as it is, but the church. Are the people sitting here who in a few minutes will will leave the building and there they need to be the church so I pray for each one of them that you will build them to be resilient and while they build resilience that they'll build it in love I pray that they will be salt and light wherever they go that they can't stop but share the good news of Jesus Christ that they look for places in our society where we can connect and allow dialogue to flow and honest communication. I pray that we won't leave ourselves in the muck and the mire of conformity and easy believism, Mm -hmm. but the church will allow you to pull them out Mm -hmm. victorious, beautiful, so that everyone in Deep Cove will find that this is a welcoming place Mm -hmm. where truth is spoken and where they do have an encounter with Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. where they get to know you and know you in your fullness. Amen.
0: Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for Connie, for her family, for her husband and her two sons. Thank you for their presence there in Europe and Portugal, for her involvement in in some amazing things that your Holy Spirit is doing there. And I thank you, Lord, for what she's shared with us today, the reminder that we are united not just here at the bridge but with brothers and sisters around the world with brothers and sisters in Europe and we want to lift them up we want to we want to pray Lord for strengthening for them. Thank you Lord for the work of renewal that you are doing in those churches whether it is through revival among the Roma people or an influx of, uh, of, of immigrants who are on fire in their faith in you, despite, despite suffering. And we do pray, Lord, that that would spark a, a revival across the board, uh, Lord, in some of these churches where there's been apathy and, and wealth and, and, and just a kind of a lack of thirst for you, that it would spark a thirst for you. And Lord, as Connie has reminded us, we want to pray that you would make us confident, not arrogant, certainly not self-sufficient in any way. Lord, but that you would make us confident in your power at work in us. That regardless of what the circumstances of the world look like or the circumstances of our lives look like, God, that you are the God who lifts people out of the pit and sets them on solid ground and gives us new songs of joy to sing. This is who you are. This is who you've always been. This is who you will be. Lord, as, as we turn to you and cry out to you, this is what you're going to do. And so I, I thank you, God, for the reminder this morning. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with confidence. You did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but Lord, you, you have given us your spirit that fills us, fills us, Lord, with strength from above, power from on high. Fill us again afresh today. Send us out, Lord, in that, in that confidence in you. Thank you for, for this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're simply just wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know a little bit more about our church, you can do that through accessing our website. There you can connect with us and also have access to different types of content. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe that he is the hope of this world and wants to give you your hope as well. We believe that the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know him more and make him known today. We'd love to hear from you.